Welcome to the Hope United Church Podcast. We are one church with two locations. For video live streams of our services and more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. been in the Gospel of John and you know that we've been going back and we've done the review we're in the middle of February now you're like when are we going to get into chapter 13 well it was supposed to be this morning uh, and I was going into chapter 13 I've been studying it all week and then as I start studying uh, I think we have to put a pause or a seller moment before we get into chapter 13 and I'll explain why uh, let, let just put the message title. It's called the Gospel of John, but we're not going to begin into John. Uh, I want to talk about love defined, and by the time chapter thirteen comes in the Gospel of John, uh, we're into the last night. It's Thursday night of the day before Good Friday, the day before Jesus is crucified, and that Thursday night uh, lasts for four chapters. Four chapters on one night. Uh, you've got, as I say, you've got 12 chapters in the first three years of Jesus' life, and then you've got four chapters in one night, the last day of Jesus' life with the disciples before he is crucified. And it's like Jesus is pouring out everything. You know, I, imagine you're, you're about to, don't want to be morbid, imagine you're about to die and you're trying to impart every bit of wisdom, everything into them who are, have to be the, the runners of what you've gave them and you're making sure that you're giving everything uh, that you can. And John's documenting this uh, this last night with Jesus, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, and everything that goes with it. Jesus praying, these three different prayers, praying for the disciples, praying for the larger church, and then praying for the lost. It's, that's astounding when we get to that in about April or something. Uh, but whenever we get to it, it's, it's, it's astounding. But... Really what Jesus is really imparting in these last four scriptures is just he's defining love. I suppose the whole of scripture Jesus is defining love. Uh, but especially in these four chapters from 13 onwards, he's truly uh, defining love. Uh, and over the, the next couple of months, we're going to talk about that. What, what love is? I, I know it seems quite maybe shallow as we say that. What love is? What real love is? And how... Jesus expresses that and shows it uh, in the last hours of his life. And that will lead us right up to Good Friday. These four chapters, if we're lucky, will lead us right up to Good Friday. That's the plan. So we'll be sharing these four chapters about what love is uh, that lead us at and what love truly looks like, how it's displayed. Uh, and as I've been preparing for this, I realised that I don't think... Anything is more out of kilter in society or anything is more pulls apart in society uh, than how the word and how Jesus defines love compared to how the world defines love. <coughs> it's the greatest, probably the greatest pain and argument I think that I have in my life. I, I read a post this week. I actually sent it to the guy. I was like, oh. You know, I get livid with stuff. No, I used to get livid with other things, but no, I get livid with what the world is calling Christianity and how it's saturating the church. And 
The post I read was another shocker, and I'm not going to tell you about the post. I'll tell you the coffee shop after. Uh, uh, and, and I know the person, I know the person well. Uh, and, and he was talking about, he was reading this new book about the Gen Z generation. And how the Gen Z generation is, we need to understand them more. Basically what he was reading is, he was reading a book with a pastor in America, a mega church pastor, who's got the real lowdown on how he loved people in the 21st century, because we've lost touch with it. You know, and, and it's a sickener. Uh, I think, let me just say this, uh, I, I think in, in church today, and I, I, I have to say for us, I think we've got two things to deal with. Right? Yeah, I, John Calvin, uh, maybe the, the greatest theologian of all time, no, Martin Luther, John Knox, <coughs> Charles Hatton Spurgeon, <coughs> John MacArthur, <coughs> as we move through, R.C. Sproul, these great theologians. <coughs> One of the things that they did was, is they had a church that they preached in day in, day out. Martin Luther just passed it. He, I think it's 700 sermons a year. no. So you've got Martin Luther, the, 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 the founder of the Reformation, uh, uh, and he's preaching 700 sermons a, a year just to his congregation. John Calvin was the same. I think we forget that these great men of God, defenders of the faith, were just, they were just pastors in churches every, in, in their common day. But they seem to have... Uh, they had another... Uh, careers know the world offshoot. They were, they were trying to defend the sufficiency of Scripture here... So, as well as taking care of their congregation, they were constantly dealing with the church going the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I feel that slowly but surely we're, we're becoming more like ourselves. We've got the church that we're dealing with, but then there's get, you've got... When I read some things that I, I see that's an attack on the gospel now, I mean, these are things that I would have supported. These are things that Mestis here would have supported, think is a brilliant idea. And see, when I see it now, I, I, I'm astounded how far away it is and the danger... Uh, because it's redefining love out with scripture. And, and honestly, uh, uh, one of the greatest battles, I think, I, I, I see it in my own personal life. You know, this is a dead autobiographical here, you know. I don't see you here and you here. We're, we're all in this together. I think one of the battles that I still face, and it's very subtle, is, is how I see love. How I actually see love in my own life and what I think love is. Uh, even how I go about it and what I, what I justify. And even, even when I know it's, I'm fully in biblical principles of love, it's there's this wee voice in my head going, that's not very loving. That's not very loving. That's a bit judgmental. I've got that. It seems to be forever present. Is, now, how, how much harder is it when the word's not there at all? And I, I, I believe that we're in times of the church being redefined by the world's idea of what love is. And it's destroying the gospel. It's killing people's life. That's absolutely... And that's where... So before we get into the four chapters of Jesus really defining what love is, I just wanted to just take one week, just this week, and just speak about where we've defined love and where it's went before we bring it back to what Jesus says and then we can parallel it. Uh, I don't think anything more is out of kilter in society or pulls apart today than how the word explains love for the world and how society sees love. We've been defining 
love for years. We're constantly changing what love is. Um, but in the last 50 years, defining love uh, has gathered a huge amount of momentum, probably for the 60s. Flower power, that stuff. For the 60s, love has been getting defined as something else and it's gathered momentum. The postmodern era has just started to redefine what love is and, uh, and it's gathered extraordinary momentum. In the church in the last 15, 20 years, uh, and that's the time that I've been in church, 20 years or so, uh, that's really the... I've seen the church... When I get saved, when I went to church at first... Pentecostal church, but then involved in a kind of contemporary church model. Uh, when I look at it, and I look back now, especially in the early days, it was that they were defining love in a whole different way. Um, and I loved it, and I was embracing it because uh, I didn't know anything about the Word of God. Uh, the momentum of how we interpret love has went to a, a whole other level of unbiblical proportions. Your greatest battles is in life is your unbiblical view of love. That's where all your battles are. That's where all your battles are. Your unbiblical view of love. Uh, in the last two, three years, especially in the last two, three years in the church and society, especially because it's just gathered another level of momentum uh, about what love is and what love isn't. I was saddened and angry to you, and I, I don't think it's time to talk about it, but the, the poor girl, Caroline Flack, came out in suicide yesterday. I was devastated. I don't know her. And I was devastated because, regardless of whether I know what went on there or no, I do know something. I do know that she was hammered by press and media uh, and stuff, which is just horrible. Just building people up, taking them down as if they... And these very same people are the ones that will be arguing about what love is. You know, and the poor girl committed suicide. I just thought it was devastating. You know, devastating. Uh, and, and more stuff needs to be done. And I, I, I so hope we're, we're living in these times, but I just so hope that media, press and media get, get made accountable for things that they do and the abuse that they have. If you've never been on the receiving end, you might not know. I've tasted that compared to people that... But I've tasted enough to know how they abuse it. And I've tasted enough to know that the venom that's in it and the horribleness and what it does to people's life. And the very same people that write that will define what love is. The very same people. Uh, I don't think it's injustice that's the sword bit. As much as it is. I think that it's constantly permissible and it's allowed is the problem. We can understand injustice at times, you know, we're living in this world of injustice, but it's not so much the injustice, it's that it's never questioned, and it seems to be allowed, and it's devastating. Uh, anyway, the, the, in the last two or three years, it's went beyond unbiblical proportions, what we define love in the world. It's, it's new epically, downright satanical. That's what I would say it is today. Uh, Love is no biblical in church anymore. Love is no, church is where it should be. The church should be uh, should be the, the head of this stuff. But the church today is no longer the forerunner in defining love. Uh, 
it's no part of something else. Love is no biblical in church anymore. It's society and culture and unbelievers. Society, culture and unbelievers that's defining love uh, today. The world decides love. The world controls and dictates what it is. The church has adopted it because there is no plumb line whatsoever to draw what love is. We're no measuring love on what's wrote in the annals of scripture. It's no, we're no defining love for what's said in the word. We're no defining love. But the last four chapters, the last, these four chapters that we'll get into next week, love's not been defined by how we wash feet, all that stuff. But it's, it's, it's been defined by something completely different. And it's now demanded that we then embrace it, understand it. Their books wrote about it. The Gen Z book that's wrote about it's that. No, the guys get the lowdown on how to reach the next generation or the new generation or the Z generation who think differently. Of course they think differently. It's sin with iPods on. That's how I see it. Just, just, it's just a different form of sin. It's sin with iPods. It's the same problem. <laughs> oh, they, they think different now. No, they don't. It's the same age-old problem. And the world has said it's a different thing and the church says we better get to grip with it. The church is no longer looking to the word to define things. Or in this whole case, where we'll get into the next few weeks, love. It's no looking to... The word to define love. If I was to ask most Christians, loose term, where their idea of love and their theology and philosophy of love comes from, they may say, Jesus, that'll be about it. If pressed, they would probably end up with some shallow explanation of scripture about Jesus accepting and dining with sinners and healing broken people. That would be about it. Uh, yet with little depth or knowledge or desire to know or even preach. And this is where we're going this morning. The whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. What's the whole counsel of God? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Paul mentions it in Acts 20, 27. Acts 20, 27, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians church, the first church built. Acts 20, 20, 70, 31, it says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Meaning, he's saying, I'm not just giving you a wee bit of the scripture, I'm not giving you the wee bit that you can swallow, the bit that you like, and leaving out the rest. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, would you hear this? And this is wrote before what happens. This is, this is a precursor for what's coming. It's like a warning. Uh, for I know this, that after my departure, after I've given you the whole counsel of God, after we've preached the word, after I've tried to share everything, Christ's blessings and sufferings and everything that goes with it, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from any, also from among yourselves, men will rise up 
speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul is pleading continually with people, don't step outside scripture to start shaping your life. When you start doing that, you're opening the door to all sorts of stuff. He was saying, in effect, we can't just talk about the bits that make us feel comfortable. He's also saying it's the only thing that will set you apart and help you spot wolves. You cannot spot a wolf if you're in approval addiction looking for acceptance. Set apart or no spot wolves coming in and trying to take people another way. This is what Paul's saying. Paul knew that without the whole council, the whole world, they would start to rely on their own interpretations of love, and guess what? They did. So this is him saying this before it happened. He's saying, I'm warning you that you need to watch because you are only taking a part of the gospel that you like. These are now embracing society and culture's interpretation. You're letting that in and the downward spiral's going to happen. And this is, where it, this is what starts. It's a total downward spiral. Do you remember what was said about the first church in Ephesus? Can you remember what it said? Would you hear this? Okay, let's go to this. Uh, Revelations 2. This is, this is Revelations. Jesus goes and visits the seven churches. Paul's writing this. Jesus uh, is the lamp. Oh, way up some years down the line. Goes and visits seven churches. And he goes in and he gives a view of the church. What the church is at. It'd be like Jesus coming here invisibly and looking around about it and saying, what is it I see in this church? What's going on? What's getting preached? What's happening? And this is what Jesus does. And he takes... Uh, he goes in this journey with John through these churches. We're not going to get into that whole bit, but I want to just pick on this and, and get through this. Revelations 2, 25. I know your works. This is, this is years later. This is years. This is after the warning. This is the warning of the Ephesians church. You're, you're not preaching the full council. When you're not preaching the full council, this is what's going to start happening. And it says, I know your works, your labour, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Good start. Talking about believers here, people are doing stuff. Uh, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, so they get the false teeth. They're, they're, they're with that stuff. Uh, and you have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have laboured for my namesake. And I've not became weary. This is good. This is a serving church. This is a church that's working hard. This is a church that's making effort to reach people, connect with people, love people, serve people. Uh, and they've not became weary. They're relentless. Nevertheless, this is the same church that Paul was warning me. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. There you go. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, for where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. The light gives it from its place unless you repent. Well, eventually that lampstand was removed. The Ephesian church is no longer. It's just a fagazi. It's nothing now. It's just it's history. Did they labour? Yes. 
Did they do good? Yes. Were they hard working? Yes. Have they lost the meaning and the source of love? Yes. There's the problem. They lost their meaning and the source of love. The minute you lose the meaning and source of love, unless you get that back, there's a downward spiral in people's lives and in the life of the church. They were replacing love and the source of love and the purpose of love and the reason for love with good works, good deeds. You see, Paul was telling them, you step outside the word, you're only sharing some of it, you step outside the word, and you stop being guided by the whole gospel, we can relate this to church and personally. So if you're thinking here, is, is this a church message? It's church and personal and wherever we're at. When we step outside the word, step outside God, step outside seeking God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind, and we're not guided by the whole gospel, but maybe just the bits we like, yeah. you will lose your first love. What does that mean? You'll start to love something else. It's just that simple. You will forget what true love is and how love's defined. And I promise you, the church, we're well on our way. It's here now. The church has been shaped by society's interpretation of love. This is what was happening in the Ephesian church. Know the word. Why? Well, for many reasons we will get into it, but the root is denial and omission of the word from the pulpit. That was the start of love getting lost in the church. When that is the shape of love, we're living in borrowed time as a church. We're living in borrowed time. Paul warned the church in Ephesus, he said, you're only preaching the bits that people like. That's what he says. You're only preaching the bits that people like, that suits the flesh, and now it's starting to shape your whole theology, which is shaping your love life. And if you're no diligent, this is he saying, people will come in, voices will enter the church, and if you embrace it, embrace this, it will take the people away completely from what love is. Worse and way worse is that the church, and this is the worst thing, if it can get worse, the church is now becoming a voice for it. It's now an advocate for that kind of teaching. An advocate for it and anything that's no. An advocate here is hate preaching. That's where we're at. It's outdated religion. See what I'm talking about here? It's dead old-fashioned. It's ridiculously old-fashioned. I should have a bonnet on. <laughs> it's so old-fashioned. It's frighteningly old-fashioned. This is frighteningly old-fashioned. It's just... We're just lost touch, aren't we? I don't know what's happened. I, 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 I dress like I get it. But I don't live like it. <laughs> Calma says, sometimes we'll go around the black, they'll be right, they, they'll be into that. And then you start talking like they're not into that. <laughs> Worse is that the church is now becoming a voice for it, an advocate for it, and anything that's known as hate preaching, it's outdated religion now that's lost its way and no longer knows how to reach people where they're at. This is what this would be classed as. We no longer know how to reach people where they're at. Who's spearheading it? 
the world, the world's demand for acceptance. Who's advocating it? Christians. Christians who? Christians who don't read their Bibles. <laughs> Christians who don't read their Bibles and don't want the whole counsel of God is now advocating what love is. They're now determining what love is. What's the world demanding? Acceptance of their identity. They want total acceptance of their ideas. And their ways and their ideas must, must be accepted and understood. It's demanded upon. It's no longer a suggestion. It's no longer different people. It's demanded that it must be accepted upon. I'm offered being understood. It's so important to understand people, eh? To walk in people's shoes, to understand. But being understood is a far cry if we want your own way. <laughs> you know, you hear, you hear that you, if you've got teenage kids or young kids, you just don't understand. That what they're actually saying is, I want my own way. That's, they're no, they're no one to be understood. They want what they want. But the world sees us, well, we better understand them. See, it's subtle, isn't it? You, you, don't, you don't want to say to people, I want my own way. I'm selfish. It's all about me. You don't want to say that, you little alunny. What you say is, I'm so misunderstood. I wish people would just understand me. People just don't get me. You know, I just feel like I'm ostracised. People just don't get me. You want your own way? No. Yes, you do. It's just dressed up different today. It's dressed up and self. It's dressed up looking like individuality, and it's it's the same selfishness that's been going on through the the the, the for the beginning of time. Do you just want your own wee way? No, no, I don't. I'm, I'm not re- really. It's sin with iPods on. It's trendy sin. No, but um, but they're different. The Gen X generation, they're different today. All right, okay. They dress differently. They wear different hats. They wear different clothes. They've got iPods in. Same thing. Same thing that needs the same solution. Seriously, same thing that needs the same solution. It's no one used solution to suit their thinking. Now that doesn't mean to say that they've no way to be understood. We get you. We get that's what you think. We get you can't afford a takeaway, so you just want to do eat that thing, whatever it's called. What's it called? Just eat. <laughs> you might go and just eat so you don't need to talk to MD. No, we get that. We get that you can't say hello to somebody, but you're a brilliant fighter behind a keyboard. <laughs> we get that. We get you're as hard as nails behind a keyboard and you're texting. We get it. We understand that. We understand you struggle. We get it. We're looking at your own way, but but we get it. But we're still going to deal with the same problem. We're not changing how we approach. Ah, but the method. See, see, see that. Can I? This, this is therapy for me, right? See, when you start hearing the method changes, you know it's not the method that's changing. You know it's the message, right? Okay, nearly always. When you start that stuff, when it's the method that starts changing, it's not the method. It starts with it. The method's just a... 
The method's ashamed of the gospel. Let me just say it for what it is. And you just see it's the method. Well, I mean, we're changing our methods to suit the, the Gen, a, Gen Z generation. Well, it's the same. It's the same. That's why, I can, that's why I can have conversations with people and I see me at five. And I'm 50. I know. It's the first time I've said it. <laughs> oh, it's palpitating. Palpitations. Oh. I'm hitting the next biggie 60. What's that? What's that? I'm not having it. I'm already feeling it's 10 years away. I'm about That's a whole. I thought 50 was the worst thing ever until I became 50, and I'm only 50 for about five days, and now I'm hitting 60 is just forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. It's a fight cry for, I want my own way, send me iPods on. The world knows how to accept them, include them, and no judge them. And you know what? The church better buck up its ideas. Better get with the programme. And do you know who's telling us that? The mega church. Why is the mega church saying it? Because we've connected. <laughs> Our place is jumping. That is jumping. It's jumping with unbelievers and sin. Dead popular, isn't it? It is. Well, that's very judgmental. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's what it is. I know, because I've been there. I've been there. I've lived in it. I've surrounded myself with it. I've done life, in it? We'd go to church on a Sunday. Day stuff, and then you've seen a Monday. All bets are off. All bets are off. You're a psychopath again. You're in the world. We're doing stuff. Don't he? Gone to Glastonbury. Is there anything we're demonic? Yeah. Let's go to Glastonbury in the name of Jesus. Oh, right, aye, okay, right. Whatever. Mega church says, look, we've connected. We've, we've found an inn. The place is jumping. Am I being paranoid? Am I being unreasonable? If you look through Revelations 2 and 3, the church goes downward. This is the start. It starts, it starts in Ephesus. It's a downward spiral. There's seven churches, two good ones, five bad ones, and each one gets worse. It's just like they keep on adding something else. They've started to be forgetting their first love. And watch what starts happening next. Watch what starts happening next. And if you look through it, the first church is Ephesus. It was doing good. It was on it. It was praising Jesus. It was reaching out. However, it was forgetting about the whole council. just forgetting about preaching the word of God. It lost its first love. And see, when you lose your first love, you start embracing old love. You don't... You... See, when you lose your first love, you're not creating new loves. You're redefining old ones. You're not, you're not embracing new loves. You're actually reshaping your old loves and turning them into Christianity. That's, that's what happens. Many churches think they're understanding new ways to love when in fact they're embracing old ways dressed up in new packaging. I mean pre-saved mindsets. Pre-saved mindsets. But then it goes through from faithful church to the downright dead one. And then the worst of all, you think there can be anything worse than a dead church? Yeah, look, Warren one and I'll tell you about that. Each decline and each denial of the word leads to embracing the world and the world starts to take care of the theology of the church. 
We've got time I've left. I want to get through this quickly if I can. Uh, the downward spiral to show where God's been edged out in the church so that when we go into John, we can re when we get into John 13, we can see the difference. The difference. <laughs> see the difference. I was going to say differential. Look, I don't need to explain that. Look, I'm not going there, right? The downward spiral is going to be edged out. And where it takes us. Okay, so the church in Smyrna, after the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Smyrna is known as the persecuted church in Revelations 2. It was a persecuted church. This is what it says in Revelations 2, 9 and 10. I know your works, tribulations, poverty, but you are rich and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. That you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until the death and I will give you the crown of life. I could get into a lot more detail, but I'm not going to hear. This is the church that doesn't embrace the world's ideas and doesn't lose its first love. It's not perfect. There's no perfect church. It's full of people, isn't it? This is the church all shallow churches think have lost the plot. And are out of touch. They are in dark ages. The persecution caused by themselves and their lack of compassion. That's what's caused them. The persecution is caused by the lack of compassion. Way too many compromising, non-Bible reading, non-Bible studying, non-Bible loving Christians have a really unhealthy opinion about Christian persecution. I think it's your own fault. I'm sure there's some of it is. Persecuted Christians don't, however, they get it. They know that they are defending and they know what's coming as a result. In fact, if you read the Beatitudes, it's not just lightly if you're truly following Jesus. It's, it's an absolute downright certainty that persecution and ostracization will come. Yet the biggest opinions that often come from people who barely mention the gospel in their life, they barely mention the gospel. They've got the biggest opinions about being fanatical. They have all the wisdom in what's wrong with the church. However, these churches are only concerned with one opinion. The church in Smyrna is only concerned with one opinion. The opinion of the Lord and is, it, is, it, is what they're saying lining up with the word of God. It's all it matters. They're only looking for his opinion and his appraisal. And the reward comes at the end. The next church is the church in Pergamos, a compromising church. These are on Asia Minor, which would be southern Turkey, maybe northern Iraq. They're... they're these churches weren't that far from each other. Some of them were in big cities, some of them in smaller cities. The Pergamos was a compromising church. The downward spiral has moved from leaving your first love. Yeah. Now, now there's the next part, the downward spiral. Charles Spurgeon calls it the downgrade, later to known as the downgrade controversy that you can read about. Brilliant, which is where Charles Hatton Spurgeon says, look, we're, we're losing this. This was in the 1890s. We're losing this. We are... We are embracing a culture that's saying that loves something else and the downward spiral of the church is never going to be ending. I said that 120 years ago. I think he was right. Where we no longer hold fast to the Holy Scriptures. This is what Spurgeon was saying. But start to embrace man's ideas of what's right. Revelations 2, 13 and 14. Jesus, Jesus has his, gives his opinion of what he sees. I know your works and where you dwell. So they're, they're no, he's not saying they're Christians. We're Satan's throne is, so they can know what, they know the enemy. <coughs> and you hold fast to my name, they'll happily say the name of Jesus. You did not deny my faith, even in the days of when Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. 
So, so, so in all intents and purposes, these are believers. But they've started to embrace not just a wee bit of stuff. They've started to embrace more. Says, but I have a few things against you. Because you have the, the, those who hold doctrines of which you this, those who hold doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak and put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and do to commit sexual immorality. This is what starts to come, okay? Uh, they don't have a problem with saying the name of Jesus, praising the name of Jesus, telling people they're Christians, coming to church. Jesus says, I know where you dwell, I know your church-going people. So this is no unsafe people here. It says they hate Satan and even know he's lurking and always in the prowl, more or less. Yet, they have let some things go. Not just one thing, they've now let some things go. Every time you loosen the word in your life, it'll be filled with worldliness. You know that, didn't you, for your own personal life? And these things start to shape the direction and worship and start to shape how we see love. They start to worship Balaam. That's what it says. Balaam was an Old Testament prophet, Numbers 31. He was an Old Testament prophet. He was a real prophet who started to care more about profit than being a prophet. He started to care more about profit, money, than being a prophet. He was a prophet who loved to profit. And one of the first things that will happen when you stop holding the whole word of, this is one of the first things that will happen. When you first thing that happen, when you stop holding on to the whole word, is money will take a deeper hold in your life. Money will just start to take, you lose the word, money will start to take a deeper hold of your life. The love of it, to be more precise, is one of the first things we start to worship when the whole counsel of God is no preached and no read. Money. One of the first things that start happening. They started to worship money and then they're worshiping money to disguise their worshiping money other sins started to creep into the church, sexual immorality. The world is now demanding the church accepts and embraces sexual immorality. And in most cases it has. They won't talk about it in church anymore. Why? Because the word has not been used to convict money issues. And that in turn has shut the word from killing sin in other areas, which has opened the door to acceptance from other things. Trust me or no, but if money is an issue in your life, my toes are up if I'm going to want to put your hands up. I speak to people all the time, they go, you know, it's no money. I say, you fell out with my boss. I can always go, that's a money problem. It's not a money problem, I fell out with my boss. Listen, it's a money problem. You don't have such a reaction if they weren't your boss. <laughs> fall out with people all the time that don't affect your money and you don't have that same reaction. If money is an issue in your life, I can stonewall guarantee it will be the beginning of your wealth for other issues. If money's an issue, isn't that scary? Oh, come on, let's line it up. If money's an issue in your life, it'll be the beginning of other issues. And it's very rare that you'll have loads of other issues and no money issues. It's, they kind of go hand in hand. The world loves money, the world loves sex. The, the church then needs to find a way not to go there. So it won't offend. 
And now it shapes love and it shapes values. Talk about money in church and it's now almost taboo. Because guess what? It's been worshipped. I don't mean the prosperity gospel church. That's nothing more than a modern, per a modern Pergamos church. The prosperity, you know, gives X amount of money and you'll get X amount of blessing. The love of money from the Balaam pastors has stopped many preachers teaching it. Because the Balaam teachers are teaching the love of money. And then good preachers are stopping to teach it because the Balaam preachers have made it hard for them to talk about money. Because then it makes them think all oh, they care about is money. It's my arms. Which is another form of falling in love with people. Their fear is coming across as money grabbers. Stops them. Okay, let's go further into this. I could go in forever there. Further into how the church is losing its true meaning of love and how society is defining it. This is the church in Thyatira now. The church, the corrupt church is headed. The corrupt church. Revelations 2, 19 to 20. I know your works, Jesus is saying. You love service, faith, your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, who do you this? You allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to Teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. These were faithful people in the church. Unfortunately, so many were being corrupted by a Jezebel. And we don't mean Jezebel, we mean the spirit of Jezebel as in a controlling woman who was starting to dictate and manipulate people. I see this in church today. This is dead popular, what I'm going to say here. They allowed it. Do you know who was the greatest danger? No a Jezebel spirit in the church. That nobody confronted it. The problem wasn't that it was there. The problem is that nobody said anything. What happened, they allowed that she wasn't the issue. Well, she was, but allowing her was what caused the real damage. No storm, it was the problem. Allowing her to have a voice was the problem. Not so much a voice, but the voice. Behind a lot, wait till this. I was, I, I was, I highlighted this here, and I'm, in, am I going to say that? I am going to say it. Behind a lot of love-shaping organisations, love-shaping organisations, is ungodly women, ungodly men as well. By the way, just to let you know, but behind a lot of love-shaping organisations, ungodly women, ungodly people, in and out of the church. In the home, in the government, in the law, in the education system, in the social care system. They're taught totally contrary to the gospel. And it's known of all places. You wouldn't think that about getting to the church. No, it's in the church too. Yep, because we've embraced it. Claiming to be prophetesses while controlling platforms and relationships. Desires, why is it allowed? Why is it allowed? Because they're not reading the word to shape it. I permit, this is what the scripture says, I permit not a woman to speak. Now listen, we're not telling you, listen, oh, oh that's it now, right? Dark ages again, innit? We're not allowed to talk. That's not what we're saying. See, that's the attack on it. Oh, we're going back into the dark ages, eh? Women are not allowed to speak. Oh, they're not allowed to go to service. They can speak. They can lead. They can, I'm not even going there, but we've done it so many times. The bottom line is, is that that's not getting none of that stuff's getting listened to for the word, and therefore we just permit it. When the word is not taught or it's misinterpreted, we will embrace false teaching and especially false prophetesses. 
That's what's happening. Calm was telling me that the head of a pro-abortion union in Michigan, who'd you this? Just, just this week. The head of a pro-abortion union in Michigan uh, is a gay, lesbian, Episcopalian woman minister. Dyke dissect that one. Okay. So the head of pro-abortion, because she says it's cruel to not allow women to have abortion. Yeah. So the head of pro-abortion in, Mich in Michigan, America, and this, she's a voice for pro-abortion, because she thinks it's no loving, is a lesbian... Couldn't make it up, couldn't you know? A lesbian... Woman minister. The words no shape my campaign, that's for sure. Because she isn't anywhere near the word, because that would mean she would come face to face with her own son. Now, our love, our so called humanity, has been shaped by, would you hear this? Our own need for approval and acceptance. The world is creating love from a personal position of demanding and needing acceptance. That's what we're living today. Your need for acceptance or our need for acceptance, inclusion and praise and worship is no the measuring line for what love is. Love is no measured on our pain or what our pain threshold is. is love can't be measured on how you feel rejected. <laughs> you don't love me. They don't love me because you did or didn't do X, Y, Z. Whoa, 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 stop stealing love. Stop stealing love based on what you can't handle. <laughs> stop stealing love based on your rejection. What, you're no shame, you're no shame my love is? Based on how you cope with rejection? You don't love me, they don't love me because you did this or no that. Hold on a minute. You're telling me you're now measuring love and what you didn't you get. That's it. Now you think on a personal level we get that. What happens when that becomes a universal? What happens when it becomes here? What happens it's in the church? We're shaping love on what you didn't get. Half conversations with people telling you like you, you actually think you know being included is a love thing. You you actually think that's the definition of love? <laughs> I didn't include you and, and knew it's a love thing, really? Where are you getting that from? However, it's no coming for scripture, is it? Certainly ain't the word of God that's riddled with Jesus no including. This is what's shaping love in our society and the church. People's feelings, so love has now been rewritten. Love's now been written by people's feelings. We even write it ourselves, didn't you? You're like, how do you define love? Well, it's based on how I feel. Well, I didn't get included. That means I didn't even love them. They didn't like me, and that means I didn't... Whoa, well, we're not going there, are we? We're not, we're not going there, are we? We're not going to rewrite the Bible based on how you feel. <laughs> we're not going to write the Bible based on how you were included or not included, based on your leanings. I really need to close here. Time's so gone. The church in Sardis is a dead church. I don't have really any time. And the angel of the church of Sardis writes these things. Who has seven spirits of God. I know your works that you have a name. That's what I mean. They've just got a name of Jesus, nothing else. 
I believe that they've got nothing much else other than a name. But you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. And see, Jesus is saying this church is ready to die. And the, the downward spiral is getting worse. I have no found what's perfect to God. They have a name, really. All they have is Jesus by name. Everything else is gone. No life in the church. No depth. It's dead. It's all the other churches in one here. They have embraced it. And they've found the world is now shaping the church and shaping what love is. It's built solely on individuals' desires. This is what this church is. It's built solely on individual desires. It's full of sin. It's full of idol worship. It's full of unbelievers. It's full of false teaching and doctrine. The only part of Jesus it has is his name. Everything else was just built on self-satisfaction. Archaeologists in the 12th century found ruins of the church in Sardis. Do you know what they found in astronomical proportions in the ruins? Gold and gold coins. <laughs> the church was nothing more than a mint for making money. Sin killed it. History tells us it was caused by the embracing of never-ending acceptance of people's social problems, dilemmas that they kept on embracing because the world was now defining what love was. And it became a money-making thing. The church became a zoo to feed people's wants and desires. It's where they got the... It's really where the beginning of the... You wouldn't think this was... This is thousands of years ago. It's where you got your promises, mate. Your business booming. Love was whatever people wanted, needing. Love was whatever got you things and made you feel better. The word's not getting used anymore. You just get... You know you see the churches, you don't read the word anymore, but you get prayer promises. <sighs> write a note. Write a note about all your desires and keep on praying for them. Like, you, you ever thought you opened up the word? <laughs> you write them down, pray over them. So your wants... I want money, I want a man, I want a woman, I want a house, I want a car, I want a baby. This is it. Never to be humble, never to become more like Christ, never to crucify the flesh. Because you don't need a list for that, that's here. It's another creed. They need this prayer card because it's the only thing they're reading. There's no word but only what made people feel better and brought acceptance. Fraser, can you come up keep people hope here? But do you, know what they, do you know what they defined love was? This church. What took pain away? It's too ouchy for the end of the service, isn't it? They defined love with what took pain away. You ever notice that we think that what takes pain away for people is love? We think what takes pain away is love. If I can take their pain away and I can do that and I can do that, and we're defining that as love. We're not looking at the word anymore. We're defining it as love and it starts to shape everything. It starts to shape our thinking. Without... So if we cause pain or we say anything that causes pain, if somebody listens to this message, I'll probably get to jail in a couple of years' time for this. Seriously. Because this is inflicting pain. So therefore it's hate preaching and therefore it's not right. That's where we're going. Without the word, without deep intimate relationship with Jesus, you'll end up convinced taking the pain away is love. We can all go there with that if we're really honest. You know what, I think that's take, I think taking pain away is love. I think making people feel accepted is love. I think including all the time is love. Do you know who's demanding it? Them who need it. 
They may keep demanding it, you like. You keep demanding that because you're miles away from the world. And it's no shape what you think love is. Giving wants is love. Give them what they want, that's love. Protecting from pain is love. Not even taking it away, protecting them from receiving it. It's love. If you loved me, you wouldn't have allowed that. All right, you, you're stealing love again. It's going to be the buzzword this week. Are you stealing love for Jesus? You're stealing Jesus' love for you. <laughs> the word says none of the kind. It actually says the opposite. It says, consider all joy when you face trials. This is what John MacArthur says about this church because there's positive in it. He says, there were enough of them in the church to rescue them from it, but never enough to rescue the church. So within this dying church, there was enough believers and good people who loved the word to rescue them from that church, but there weren't enough of them to actually overthrow what was going on. You may be fighting a losing battle in some areas. You ever feel like you're fighting a losing battle? God was always rescue faithful people, even if you're not winning the war. They'll always rescue faithful people even if you're not one in the war. It tells you that at the end, I don't have time. It says in the faithful church in Philadelphia. I'll just read one thing it says here. This is the faithful church. This is as close to a perfect church as you can get. And this is what it says. You have kept my word. You have kept my word and not denied my name. It's a faithful church. The last church of all is the lukewarm church. That's the worst of all. The downward spiral creatures, the ultimate climax. What's worse than a dead church or a lukewarm church? This is people you talk they just don't care. At least if you hated God, I could at least have a bit of your conversations. You know, you ever talk to people like, I just don't care. I've got all the answers to everything. And that's where the church goes. They don't need God. They follow their own system. Some of these contemporary types are the most active vocal love shapers on the planet at the moment. Some of the contemporary church types are the most active vocal love shapers on the planet. It says this, and this is my close. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy. I don't need anything. I don't need God. They do not know that they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, the hardest people to reach are the sorted, aren't they? <laughs> it's very hard to reach sorted people. And then Jesus in the next four chapters, as we'll get into next week, starts to explain what love is, which is a polar opposite for where we're going. Okay, that was a wee bit different for the Gospel of John, wasn't it? Let's stand with close. I suppose if I'd one take home, it'd be this. Stay planted in church. Let the word of God speak into your life. I'll shape and define love and I'll take away, I won't, I won't take away problems. But I'll help you understand them differently and process them differently and attack them differently and deal with them differently. The greatest battles in our life here is how you're measuring love compared to how this measures love. And all messed up in that and all entwined in that, that's what's causing the greatest 
I don't need to know what's going on in your life to know that's what's causing the greatest battles in your life. How you're defining and shaping love. Yeah? Now, what, about, what I'm not saying is, right, just in case, because I know some of you are right on this, and you'll just get and go, I'm telling you something now. So I don't want you to stick at home and say to your loved ones, see you. And then we're not saying that, <laughs> okay? But maybe you'll have that wee thought in your head this week, you're going like, that. are you stealing Jesus' love? Are you redefining that into something that's not biblical? Thank God that God's taking us on this journey when we're not. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages.